Hello, and welcome to Good Film Hunting, the podcast where two people, two sisters living in different parts of the country <laughs> talk with friends and family about their favorite movies, and we have a very special movie and a very special guest today, so I will let Eleanor introduce both. Our guest today is Jess Mann, who is currently a resident of Reno, Nevada, and Jess, I've known for now 10, over 10 years, 12 years, that's terrifying, um, from freshman year of college in Kavanaugh, the most important space at Notre Dame. But Jess, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah, so... No, Anne and Eleanor from Notre Dame. Um, I have a very cute picture of, I think, the very first pep rally uh, at Notre Dame, which is probably our second week of college. And Eleanor and I are cheesing pretty hard, very decked out in Kavanaugh gear. So, um, yeah, I've kept in touch since then. Um, Eleanor and I have had a chance to see each other uh, at least once a year, almost, for the past few years, because we're both out on the West Coast. So excited to be on the podcast and to see Annie because I haven't seen you in a long time. I know it's been a long time whenever you see Eleanor it's like I'm not there you I know? know wait I saw you at a tailgate at some point I think that's at true the Dolan's tailgate. Yeah. that was the last time I I would say though one of the things that does kind of get challenging or concerning is I am always convinced when I see someone like everyone yeah <laughs> around me sees them and that's not the case because it was even like talking to another friend Alexa was like oh it's been like so long since I've seen this person and I was like but that doesn't make any sense and she's like you've seen them that doesn't mean I have right and even it was like in the fall I was so excited to see Dolan's parents and like it doesn't I got overly excited and I was like I can't believe it's been years and it's just I just love seeing people anyway that doesn't make we're just, okay <laughs> so yeah. funny okay yeah let's let's keep moving <laughs> um Eleanor can reminisce about seeing friends all the time. Eleanor so, is our, the best at keeping in touch with people so it is like uh, no yeah it's like actually like super hard to uh to like live up to like I tried like one of my goals for this year is to send like five postcards or cards a month when like Eleanor sends that many a day and like I spent a legitimate amount of money on on postage because I was like if I spend money on stamps I'm gonna send stuff still really hard it still (laughs) has not happened but anyway okay let us talk about our favorite pop culture moment um of the week and can, I'll start. I I just always should. I just, like, know what I want to say. So, anyway. Um, so, I am a teacher, as our listeners know. And um, this past week, on Wednesday, was, like, the National School Walkout. And I teach at a Catholic elementary school with fifth graders. So, we've had a lot of good discussions around gun control and guns in schools and school safety. Um, but it's still kind of a little bit just... Uh, kind of out of their realm, like, mentally and developmentally, which is, like, fine. So um, we as a school, like, went to mass at 10 a.m. instead of, like, walking outside for 17 minutes. But as we went outside, we are really close to a public high school, and all of their kids had walked out and, like, formed this, like, chain around the whole block. And, like, I got so emotional. Like, I almost, like, started sobbing in front of my students. And they were all like, are you okay? And I'm like, this is just a lot. And, like, these kids. And like, so um, 
I'm going to say the national walkout was my moment of the week. Interesting. And it, it's, and I don't know about you, but I heard, I was talking to a coworker and she was saying yesterday at her workout class at nighttime, what they did is they did 17 push very intentionally like at the end of it they did 17 push-ups like and just finding different ways to kind of use 17 in memoriam um i thought yeah there was a lot of interesting things to come out of it and it's it's one of those things that's only someone recently who spent time around high schools in los angeles which again sounds weird but i have a friend in high school it's not strange but like that's what you say it's It's totally totally normal (laughs) and i part of it was thinking about like how different walkouts are here as opposed to elsewhere um because you can walk outside and it's not a weather concern um so thinking about like what that looks like in boston or in new york or chicago where it's legitimately cold right now it was cold those kids it was really beautiful. Yeah, it's been cool to see the responses from universities, too, that have made statements about, you know, students who might have something disciplinary on their record because of walkouts that are inexcused or not going to be taken into consideration for admissions decisions. Um, so I've seen Notre Dame and St. Mary's release some stuff about that, as well as our local, the University of Nevada, Reno. Uh, it's pretty cool to see the different responses to it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I thought that was really cool of Notre Dame. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, Notre Dame can get a lot of things right. <laughs> yes. Not everything. They have their moments, right? Yeah, <laughs> they do. Uh, all right. Well, the thing that's really stuck out to me that I've been reading this week is this book called The Power by Naomi Alderman. And it's hard to talk about something that I'm not yet finished entirely with. Um, But so far, I am obsessed, and it's making me a little bit concerned right now that I'm on a sci-fi kick, which I've never been on in my life when it comes to books. Um, But it's just fascinating, and it envisions a world in which, like, 15-year-old girls start to get this, like, electric power, and it first used um, kind of as a defense mechanism against men who are, like sexually or physically aggressive and like for example the country Moldova which has the highest rate of human trafficking the women like take over and like start like a women-centered empire and it's fascinating and I really recommend it but it's also weirdly about like Instagram and like social media it's one of those things that covers everything but I really like it into it Mm -hmm. definitely want to check it out all right, Jess, how about you? Yeah, I would say mine. So you guys may or may not know I'm a pretty big live music junkie. It's like how I choose to spend a lot of my free time uh, going to shows. And I saw my like first official concert of the year on Monday. Um, we saw Lord in Sacramento. So cool. Yeah, she was incredible. Such a fun show. Um, she had this amazing opener that was this like Swedish pop act. I think her name is Tove Strike. Oh, she's, she's so good. So I love her. So good. So good. Definitely yes. want to like, give her a shout out. Check her out. Um, Run the Jewels also opened, which was not really my thing, but people seem to like it. <laughs> and then uh, Lord, Lord was great. It was this great production. She had tons of dancers that were doing lots of like modern dance and ballet. She um, had really cool stage production stuff. So it was a pretty solid uh, concert to kick off, kick off my year for sure. 
Yeah. It so good. So good. Ugh. Okay. So let's jump into this movie. So Annie, you haven't even described the movie yet. So the movie that we're talking about today is The Birdcage, um, which is one of Jess's favorite movies from childhood, which I think is great. So Jess, like, can you give us a synopsis of this movie for those who might not have seen it? Yes, definitely. So I think it's probably a little bit of an unconventional pick for like favorite childhood movie. Um, I probably shouldn't have watched it as young as I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking that. <laughs> Yeah, maybe <laughs> 10 or 11 when I saw it. But um, it's a 1996 film uh, from director Mike Nichols, so Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Graduate. Uh, it's a remake of a 1978 French film, uh, La Cage à Folle, and which was also an adaptation of a play of the same name. It came out in 1973. So um, essentially it's about a gay couple in South Beach. Um, Armand is played by Robin Williams in this incredible subdued role. Um, he owns a drag club in, it's called The Birdcage, and his husband, uh, Albert, who's played by Nathan Lane, is the star drag performer of this club. So um, all of the chaos starts when their son, Val, announces his engagement to uh, Barbara, whose parents are ultra conservative. Uh, one of them is a senator, uh, played by Gene Hackman, who is uh, very involved with the Coalition for Moral Order. So we have these very... Yes. Um, family values type Republicans who are going to be the in-laws to this family. And so very much in its, at its core a farce, all of these ridiculous events take place. Um, the son convinces Robin Williams' character that they need to essentially play it straight for this family so that they can meet and pass as a normal, normal family. Uh, they try and and try and get Nathan Lane's character to um, be more masculine. He's a pretty effeminate and outrageous uh, character yeah. in this film. He's absolutely like the stereotypical drag queen. Uh, so there's some pretty comical moments of this really interesting gender performativity of trying to get Nathan Lane to like walk like a man and, and speak more ma in a more masculine way, uh, ultimately deciding that he can't pass and so they ask his biological mother to play the part of his um, actual, actual mom, and uh, everything goes wrong. She isn't able to make it, so Nathan Lane has to step in and play essentially Mrs. Goldman uh, and interact with this very naive and conservative couple. So um, it's pretty hilarious. Like yeah. The dialogue is great. Um, the roles are really funny, but there's definitely some touching messages in it, too. Mm -hmm. it's yeah and, and it's so it's one of those movies that reminds you just how great robin williams and nathan lane are absolutely like, like and like gene hackman is enjoyable in it and so is diane west but it's nathan lane steals the show and it's Agreed. one of the and it's hard to steal a show from robin williams and i think that's what's so cool yeah and i was reading well, that robin williams is actually first cast in the nathan lane role uh, and Steve oh. Martin was slated to play Armand, the club owner, and then Steve Martin like dropped out of the project, and they moved Robin Williams over, which I thought it just worked so well because he's so he's always so high energy, and it's such a subdued role for him, and it just worked so well. Also, now now thinking about it though, I would love to see this movie with Steve Martin and Nathan Lane. I know right? it's weird yeah. to like want to cut out Robin Williams, but I'm like that would be an excellent pairing. That would be an interesting like reworking of this okay 
Yeah, no, Nathan Lane is super funny in this movie, but I, okay, so I just recently, like, kind of caught up to this movie and, like, what it was. Like, I truly had never heard of it. And then watching it, like, I totally understood why. Because, like, our parents would have been totally so far away from even them watching this movie, much less letting their children watch this movie. In particular with, like, the one scene when they're at dinner and, like, Nathan Lane is in drag and they're talking about abortion. Like, I was watching that and I was like... Robin Huntington would never have been okay with this. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of reflecting on that too. And I, you know, grew up in rural northeastern Nevada, this like tiny mining town. Uh, and my parents were fairly politically. Uh, and I just wonder, like, what led us to watch this movie? It's a it's a film that I love, but my parents also really enjoy. Um, and we quote it constantly. And I think it's so interesting. Um, I don't know how we like came across it or was decided like, this is a good family movie for the Mayhans, but uh, we definitely love it. And it's, it's part of our family tradition for sure. Love. It's so it's funny. A, it's almost one of those movies that like at a certain age, you wouldn't understand much of the like kind, kind of political issues that or political cultural issues that come up around it Absolutely. because you would just think of it as so funny because it's even rewatching some of the just just some of the clips and nathan lane in part because like you would subconsciously associate him with kumba in the lion king right. i think just and not being able to make that connection but orally understanding that connection i think would be huge oh my gosh it's just so charming yeah. It's so charming. But, uh, and it's, Hank Azaria is incredible in it yes, as the yes. butler slash protege of uh, Nathan Lane. Uh, he just like steals the show every time he's on screen. And he, it's just campy in all the right ways, which I really love. Yeah. And there's so much about it that even though this movie now is more than 20 years old, it holds up even on like a social political level like it's interesting to think about how much has changed within 20 years because if you were to cast this movie today i there would be like huge twitter outcries about the fact like robin williams like a straight man being cast in such a role um but we still have this concern in american culture like we do and we don't about our politicians having this aura of respectability like we theoretically do but then we also don't because you look at like the president and the immediate family um but we still have this like moral veneer particularly for like republican concepts or even what was it the fact that they had to change their last names could not be like a jewish sounding last name yeah yeah that i had totally missed before i had totally forgotten that and i think to a certain extent now that rings more true than it previously like oh my gosh it would be interesting but okay oh go ahead Annie so so Eleanor I kind of agree and I kind of disagree because I feel like um Nathan Lane definitely is like playing a stereotype and I mean I'm not a um LGBTQ like individual so I don't want to like put anyone's opinion on it but I mean I would potentially be offended at you know what I'm talking about like overplaying the the character of the gay drag queen you know um and like not only that then also 
like, because I'm thinking of the scene where, like, he's trying to pretend to, like, be straight or, like, go straight, and he's, like, walking past the old woman. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're at uh, lunch. At the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's, like, like, it's funny, yes, but, like, at whose expense? Like, I, I found myself laughing because Nathan Lane is, like, a comedic genius, but, like, I was also, like, who am I laughing at here? Am I la- Like, am I laughing at, like, the fact that this gay man can't pretend to be straight or that he needs to pretend to be straight. Like, I don't know. It just like, it, it made me like a little bit uncomfortable. Like I was like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's totally worth calling out the challenges of it too. Cause there's absolutely some stereotyping about gay men, about, about drag, about gay culture. And then also the gender binary too, where you have this gay couple that seems really happy um, they seem pretty functioning and normal, but they also fall into typical gender stereotypes where one mm-hmm. is more masculine and one is more feminine. Um, and so I think it's definitely worth exploring those challenges too and really where we were at in the, in 1996 uh, and right. all of the, and what gay culture was really facing or queer, queer culture really at that time. Um, so yeah, I think you're right on any that there's, there's challenges with it too. Right. And again, I think that, like, thinking about the time that this was made, it's, like, worth it to say that this was a Hollywood movie that was at least showing a gay couple when probably there weren't many films doing that. But, I mean, it's definitely a product of the time. But this this movie was rated R, and I don't think that rating would hold up. I I agree. (laughs) Like, I don't think this would be more than PG-13. They drop, uh, they drop the F-bomb. I mean, do. again, and I, like, and I think that the ratings, like, I'm not saying that they're correct, but correct me if I'm wrong, Eleanor, it's like three F-bombs and it's an R rating. I also like that you say F-bomb in this instance. Um, but I work I, with kids. <laughs> and but I, I swore in front of them today, so I'm trying to be better. I said, damn it. We were playing a game and I got out and I was like, damn it. <laughs> Man, your struggle is so real. Um, yeah, but I actually I don't know the specifics of that, but that, but even without that language, if they were confident that they would be able to um, have it be more widely seen, they could have easily changed that. But it, I think also at the time that it was released, it was kind of so countercultural and so out there in a way that was appealing, and having our in that way would have been good because. To a certain extent, it's coming after the release of two films, one Australian, um, about drag. There was, like, a weird mid-90s, like, drag queen obsession because it was um, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is, like, among the greatest movies ever made. And that was... Yes, you have, Annie. Oh, my God. I have not. (laughs) You always insist I've seen these movies, and I have not. Okay. Not true. But then there was the American version to Julie Fu, to Julie Wong with Two Wong Fu. That was it. With from Julie Newmar. Yeah. It was it's <laughs> a very confusing title. It's not as good as Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. My roommate made me watch it recently because apparently she loved it as a kid and I was like, but she's never seen Priscilla and I was like, this is inherently superior. But to certain extent the R was like countercultural and like you were cool if you had seen all these movies these movies. Um and it was also... How would you know, Eleanor? You were eight. I yeah, mean, like, no offense, but, like, who are these people who are like, oh, we're being so countercultural that you were because talking Because I've to? read about it. Annie, like... Oh, my gosh. I don't know. 
I don't know. <laughs> but then it's all, because think about it. Like, if you look at the 90s, starting, because Paris is Burning is what, 1991? I don't even know what you're talking about, so I'll Wait, Jess, have you it. seen Paris is Burning? Yeah, it is incredible, Annie. You should watch it. It's a okay. documentary it's a about, like, voguing uh, mm-hmm. and, and gay culture in New York City, and it's so fantastic. Okay. So fantastic. Cool. And there was just kind of a revisit, like a revisited documentary about it within the last two years. I forget what it's called. Oh my gosh, I'm falling apart. <laughs> but, but there was, it was almost like for the first time, these cultures that had existed were coming into like popular imagination and like voguing. There's a lot with Paris is Burning about voguing then being co-opted by Madonna. And the fact that none of the men who acted in um, Priscilla or Julie Newmar, whatever, Dear Julie Wong, I I need to, Dear Fu Wong, and um, Birdcage, none of them are, were from like drag culture itself. That was not like their identities. Like that would not fly today. And you even think about a lot of the positive press right now in Hollywood is still on the Chilean film The Fantastic Woman and the importance of using like a vocal transgender activist. Right. And I know and I know that's different, but it, but you think of how much has changed within twenty years. Like I don't think any of those movies would fly now. Like no, with the idea of the people behind the camera and in front of the camera um, not being representative of the story being told. Right. And I think it, it really is subversive in that way. And it's something that I think Mike Nichols does pretty well in other films, too, um, where he's not, like, outwardly political, but there's political oh. things in, in his films. Um, cause, I mean, so we're looking at 1996. Like, AIDS is finally on its, like, very first downward slope in terms of number of new cases. So we're getting a handle on that. We're just, we had just removed homosexuality as a cl- classification as a disease by the World Health Organization. So... Um, those were two pretty big things happening in the early 90s. But 1993 was Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We had the Defense of Marriage mm-hmm. Act come in in 1996. And so just like culturally, there's tons of interesting stuff that's happening um, to both sort of by like the medical and mental health professionals of right. doing everything they can to destigmatize. But then politically, we're seeing lots of sort of um, backlash to that with legislation to really do whatever we can to like smother that culture Um, and the fact that this was an extremely popular movie that people went and saw in droves um, and really supported and even the original I was reading that was one of the highest grossing foreign films in history and it like still has one of those titles has it's pretty high up on that list um, that's pretty amazing that these families are going and just enjoying this film and subversively seeing this gay couple that is in a happy marriage that successfully raised a child um, that ultimately is a film about family values. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. But, okay, this was a part I wanted to bring up and get both of your takes on it because I thought it was, interestingly, at the end, the big moment of growth is when the son identifies like Nathan Lane's character as his mother. How do you think that particular line would hold up today? Because it's, it's describing like maternal qualities to a man, which were, which is one way to view it, but in a sense it's not progressive in that it's the idea of like dual fathers. So I, w- I would really be interested in both your takes on that.
Yeah. Jess, you go first. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's kind of one of those things of like, what's, what's the larger battle? Um, in that it's, it's progress to, to be able to accept this idea that like this, this type of couple or couple that looks like this would be able to successfully parent and have a family. But then that sort of problematic binary of like, well, someone has to be the mom or someone has to be, um, you know, the father figure. But I think at least with Nathan Lane's reaction in the film, he's very touched by that um, classification and like might identify that way, which is, you know, less problematic for his character. But I definitely think that if you don't look at it from sort of a, higher level um the language becomes a little bit problematic but um in that moment and like i would argue like for nathan lane's character like being referred to as the mother figure was something that he felt very honored by right and i think i agree with jess so like in terms of the story it like makes sense and it kind of closes this question of like whether they can be like a family and i understand that like that's how a family was defined at the time but like if it was to be updated I would hope that they would be like, oh, and like, you know, it's not, I don't just have one father. I have the love of like two great mm-hmm. fathers, you know, and like really emphasizing that like that's a possibility. And again, I understand this is 96 where it's like there were only, you know, heteronormative married couples, but it's like, I don't know. Again, mm-hmm. I just think it shows the date of this movie. Definitely. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it's just like, oh, yeah, like, nobody would put that in a movie today. Like, nobody. Yeah, it's interesting to really think about that, those, like, standards of normative normalcy, too, and how that, right. they really play right. in both with, with uh, Nathan Lane and Robin Williams' characters, but also with the conservative family, too, and really what is their normal, and how are those, how is that couple, like, playing into our expected standards of what a family looks like, and right. what, what a mom does, and what... Uh, what does that does? Is it Diane? I can't remember that actress's name that plays Louise, but um, you know she's very much the like doting housewife. <laughs> those kind of performative gender pieces that we come to experience. Right, and I actually think that like a movie like this today. Okay, can we just move into like what, it, what we feel about this film? Yeah. Like, to, okay, so to close off, I don't think I would show this movie to kids today. Um, I don't like being a fifth grade teacher and like thinking about my kids watching this. I'm just like scared because I don't think they know what to do with it quite yet. You know, like, and I wouldn't want them to be, um, insensitive, not because they're mean, but because they just don't understand, like they don't have the language to talk about it. But, um, I think that like a remake, if they remade this movie and did it in an intentional way, um, where it was both like kind and loving to like a Trump-esque conservative family, like a Trump supporter-esque conservative family and a gay couple finding common ground and like the love of a family, I feel like that would be a really important movie. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Again, I don't think that like this movie is that necessarily, but I feel like a remake of this like heartwarming film could be that. So what you're advocating for is like the current season of Netflix, Queer Eye. Yeah. Oh my God. Love. So into. I've watched every episode. But like this movie, like this movie's funny and there's a lot of like good in it. I just think that like to enter today's conversation, they need to redo it. No, I think that's fair, Annie. I, um, as I was thinking about it and I got like really jazzed about the, like the discussions that could come from a watch of this movie with some really specific themes in mind. Um, Cause I, as I rewatched it, I was thinking a lot about the desire for acceptance and 
yeah the way we like currently the way just communities in general currently handle marginalized members of their community so even within the lgbt community or within the queer community we have sort of this challenge of and i say we as an ally of the community but um of folks who are very much on the fringes like women and men of color like sex workers like folks under the trans umbrella um who activists just aren't quite sure like how do we accurately how, how do we effectively engage them in our community while also trying to get acceptance from the majority because the easy answer is almost always like we need to try and fit in the best we can within these standards of normalcy um, to make any sort of movement so you know if we're shooting for marriage equality we're, we're talking about like white gay men's marriage equality we're not necessarily talking about people on the fringes or people that are marginalized right. and so I, right. I think those are amazing conversations that could happen with older older children or like teenagers um but I, I would agree that there would be some problematic pieces about really this like funny gay couple that we're laughing at more than like laughing at the farce or the scenario right exactly and so to jump into the concept of what you're talking about with marriage and like people on the fringes yeah thinking through how do we because marriage hasn't always been set up for success for many groups of people anyway and and what I thought was interesting when rewatching this was that the parents uh, Nathan Lane's and Robin Lane's characters their fear was that like it was less that he was their son was entering marriage it was just that he was so young and how would that look today when there's many different alternatives really to how people choose to spend their lives or choose to spend um, kind of like a partnership and what that looks like um, so in that sense it is dated because both both sets of parents in this movie kind of feel similarly um, yeah I, I do think this movie has I think it could jumpstart a lot of conversation. Um, it's almost one of those movies that it would be like weirdly okay for like five-year-olds, but like not okay for eight-year-olds. Um, because yeah. <laughs> you know how like eight-year-olds know just enough to be like, what's happening? And five-year-olds, it would be would the physical no comedy. Yeah. It, would, it would be that. Um, yeah, and thinking about like problematic issues, um, today, there would be such an uproar about Hank Azaria playing a Guatemalan, like as a Sephardic Jewish New York man. Um, it's fascinating. Um, no, but like this movie, it's so interesting how many of these ideas presented in it, even like gays in the military sequence is also so funny. BT Dubs when like Nathan Lane was like, why would they want like the uniforms? And then Gene Hackman's character just staring at him um, or her, I guess in that situ situation. Um, no, but I think there's, there's value in it. And I would love to see this be remade to think about how, or I would love to see it be remade in a different cultural context because Bollywood in particular is very good at taking like Western films and then changing it for local audiences. And because this film originated as a French film, which is, you know, very different than like what it became in America, it would be really interesting to see how this would play out in another culture where these issues about like gender identity and sexuality are playing out on a larger cultural scale where there might 
not be um, any level of cultural acceptance. I think that would be a really interesting kind of like triumvirate of films to really delve into. But that's just me being like pitching to all these Bollywood producers that I don't know. Right. <laughs> One, One day, day, Eleanor, when we have our media company. We'll, we'll meet all the Bollywood producers and tell them what to, yep. to look out for. Yeah. Good film hunting productions. Our producer, Haley, had no idea what she was getting into, but she's part of a global marketing campaign. <laughs> I love it. Same. Okay. Well, we should start wrapping up. This was a great discussion. Um, it was actually really funny. So I mentioned that I was podcasting about the birdcage with um, a coworker today. And she was, like, really close to her mom. And her mom passed away maybe, like, four years ago. Um, almost, like, three and a half years ago. And she instantly was like, oh, my gosh, that was my mom's, like, favorite movie. She thought it was so funny. And she had a great time, like, recounting her kind of experience of this movie. Um, and so, like, I kind of love when movies can do that, like, kind of bring this magical moment where it's like, oh, my gosh, that movie means so much to me. And, and I was like, oh, I, like, I don't know that much about it. Like, it's a good movie and it's funny. But, like, but she had this, like, very emotional reaction. So, anyway, it was kind of beautiful. It's definitely one of those movies that has grown with me, too, and has meant different things to me at different points where, you know, as a child, it was a funny movie that I loved watching with my my family and then I really loved like showing it to people in my adult life too who've never seen it and then having these types of great discussions about like its cultural impacts and really how it represented just sort of the state of politics and the state of gay rights and just the state of humanity at that time um yeah it's definitely something I think I will continue to appreciate I don't know where that okay anyway Okay, so to wrap up, we always end with where in the world we would want to go right now. Um, I'm headed to Belize in July and August, which I'm pretty jazzed about. Um, But you also have to explain who you will be going with because it sounds awesome, but also exhausting. And I really want to watch Annie's face when you tell her. It's going to be 11 days in Belize with 14, 15, through 18-year-olds. No. So, oh, no. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Seriously, put tape on all the doors. They are gonna be like sneaking out. I know. Um, all girls, which I am excited about that aspect of it. But uh, yeah, it's a Girl Scout destination, so it's for work technically. But um, it's gonna be put a blast. Put tape on the doors. I have done overnight trips with kiddos. Put tape on the doors. <laughs> Tell them you're doing it. Like sit in the hallway. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that will be fun, though. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, for sure. Yeah. Eleanor? Um, Right now, I'm feeling very... I'm two two ways. Like, I'm feeling very pro St. Patrick's Day. So in that sense, I would love to be somewhere where it's, like, a very big, like, Boston, New York, Chicago. Um, Notre Dame was always... St. Patrick's Day was a blast. Um, but alternatively, like today, a coworker brought in her baby, and pretty soon they're next week they're going to visit Israel. And then I was talking to another coworker who used to teach on the West in the West Bank, and I was like, I want to go to there. So like simultaneously, I would love to have like a drunken green fest, but also 
go to Israel and Palestine. So there you go. Well, Israel and Palestine, like, I still kind of can't believe you've never been there. Again, I think it's one of those things where, no, like, any place I've been, I just, like, assume you've also been. And, like, I recognize it's, like, entirely not the case. But, like, the one that really gets me is that you've never been to Israel. It is so beautiful. Um, I've also never been to Italy, and almost everyone assumes I've been to Rome and Vatican City. Well, yeah, that's just, like, a travesty. And you've never been to Istanbul. Okay, so, like, we really need to talk because you're missing some, like, heavy hitters. <laughs> um, but if I could go anywhere right now, it's still pretty cold in Chicago, um, but it's, like, sunny now, which makes a huge difference. So... But, like, I don't really want to be here this weekend. So, Eleanor, like, alternatively, I, like, am not looking forward to, like, waking up to, like, puke all over the streets of Chicago on Sunday. So, mm-hmm. um, I would want to be somewhere where they're, like, going to do, like, a kind of celebration of St. Patrick's Day. So, in that sense, I'd really like to go back to Singapore. Last year on St. Patrick's Day, I went to Singapore and I made it there for their, like, St. Patrick's Day fest. And it was, like, simply just, like families that were Irish who had moved to Singapore, like, having a little parade in the street and little, like, Singaporean children playing the bagpipes. It was delightful. Um, And it was also, like, 80 degrees, so sign me up. That's what I want. Sounds awesome. It was good. Oh, so good. All right, Jess, thank you so much for talking to us about the birdcage. Annie had never seen it, or had you even heard about it, no. Annie? So this was, like, entirely new for to Annie, so that's, like, always very exciting to get her on board with things she should have seen. And, um, but yeah, this was so great, and... Yeah, and, thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. And with Surprising that, no one, I'm tired. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you are the coolest. Get Annie to bed. I know. I mean, Annie, you're not even up the latest. Haley's on the East Coast. She's okay. I I have mad respect for Haley. Like mad, just like all around. I feel like she knows everything and she finds everything out. Like she. So listeners, I just like we didn't catch this in time, but like I have to catch you up because Haley did research on what it takes to be a rated R film, and apparently, two times. If you say the F word two times, it is. Um, an R-rated film, but also if it's used in terms of like sex, it's like always gonna be an R-rated, and I found that very interesting. So anyway, props to Haley. <laughs> Thanks, Haley. <laughs> All right, so this podcast was brought to you by our newfound producer Haley Beaupre, <laughs> and thank you to our guest Jess. And you can find us on the internet, primarily Facebook and Instagram, but we are getting better at Twitter. Yay! (laughs) All right. Thank you and see you next time.